0: Be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I speak to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a weighty Sunday, the last Sunday after the Epiphany. The last Sunday of the season focused on the revelation of Jesus' true nature as the Messiah, Son of God. We feel the calendar page about to turn from a season of joy towards a season of repentance and fasting and sorrow. This Sunday can feel like a little last gasp of happiness before we plunge into ashes and serious, dour faces. Now, this transition from Epiphany to Lent wasn't always quite so stark. Our last prayer book eased us into Lent, turning from Sundays after the Epiphany to the pre-Lenten season for the three Sundays before Lent. They were called Septuagesima, sexagesima and quinquagesima Sunday which is today and that essentially meant 70 days before Easter about 60 days before Easter about 50 days before Easter and the reading for this day was always from Luke and Jesus again tried to explain to the disciples that he must suffer and die before being raised on the third day as usual They didn't get it, so Jesus healed a blind man, a blatant burn of the disciples who needed to open their eyes. In contrast to that lectionary from the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, we now have our modern day lectionary in which we are hit over the head with the gospel for the day. The lectionary constructors, worried that we may have missed the point, demand that we get it now. Hello, yoo-hoo, did you notice this season? Jesus is the Messiah, they're saying. See, he's on the mountaintop, he's clothed in light, face shining, God's voice declaring, this is my son, beloved, listen to him. It's not a very subtle move on their part. So it does provide clarity in case any of us weren't paying attention this season to the arrival of Magi, baptism of Jesus, or to Jesus' various teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. Just in case we missed all of that, the authors of the lectionary provide the Transfiguration, which makes crystal clear that Jesus is divine. It foreshadows his death. It emphasizes that he is in line with the great figures of faith, Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, and it prefigures the resurrection. So, for any of us who need a recap of what happened in the last episode before we watch the next, here it is. But just what does this moment of revelation, of transfiguration on a mountaintop, have to do with us? We, we who live in a world of scientific fact, a world pretty suspicious of visions. This moment on the mountaintop happens after a time of disorientation, even disillusion for the disciples. Just six days before this, Jesus asks disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds quickly, rightly, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus rewards his faith by declaring him the rock upon which he would build the church. But then Jesus begins to teach what it means to be Messiah, and it's not what they're expecting. Not a glorious leader who will overthrow oppressors. Not one who will restore Israel to power immediately. Instead, Jesus begins to teach that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer, be killed, and then be raised on the third day. A teaching that Peter rejects. And for that, Jesus rebukes him and goes on to teach the disciples that if anyone wants to follow him, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, be willing to lose their lives. They must have been afraid and confused. I can only imagine that they began to doubt, wondering if they've been following the right person hoping he's got it wrong. For surely this is not what a Messiah is. Surely their reward for following him isn't losing their lives. A cross. In the midst of that doubt and fear, Jesus leads Peter, James, and John up a high mountain where they get the kind of clarity, the kind of divine experience that many of us long for. For how could they doubt that Jesus is who he says he is when they see his face shining like the sun clothes dazzling white, talking to Moses and the prophet Elijah? But if they experience joy and relief at this vision, they are plunged right back into fear when God's voice booms from the heavens. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. They fall to the ground, overcome By fear of the Lord. Suddenly the vision recedes. Moses and Elijah are gone. The voice quiets. Jesus is back to normal. No more shining face or dazzling clothes. Leaning down, Jesus touches them, saying, Get up. Do not be afraid. They've heard the voice of God. They've experienced the touch of Emmanuel, God with us. They've been comforted. And then the vision is over. All goes back to normal. And still, after what surely was no more than a moment, no more than a moment, they They are changed forever. And sometimes, most of the time, that's all we get. That's all we get, a moment. We get a moment while at prayer or during mass, or while caring for a loved one who needs us, or during something achingly beautiful, music we love, a painting that draws us in, time in the glories of nature. And in a moment, just for a moment, we know with all our being that God is true. God is love. All shall be well. We are not alone. That God has joined us in the flesh, touches us, bids us be not afraid. In those moments, the one or two afforded to us by God's grace can change us forever. Tilting tilting our inward perceptions as a mirror can be tilted towards the light to catch it and then point it towards what's in shadow. That might not seem like much, given how hard life is, the sorrows we must face, the chaos and the violence of our world, but it is enough. We may not get the transfiguration on the mountaintop, But we know the story as it has been passed down to us and we each, I pray, get a moment of light, a burst of the holy, a brush of the divine and that one moment must sustain us for our whole lives as we return to it over and over to remind ourselves that God is here and we need not fear even when it feels like we're losing our lives, even when faced with a cross. Sometimes it won't sustain us and we'll forget it just as Peter let go of this mountaintop moment as he denied Jesus three times. Yet today, today we heard from one of his letters where he remembers this moment, the transfiguration, and he commends it as a reason for his faith. He writes that he and other disciples are not sharing myths or made-up stories because they heard the voice of God say, This is my son, my beloved, and that moment sustains his faith. And now he shares that moment so that others we might believe, too. Might have hope, too. As we exit this season of light and enter the shadows of Lent, and whenever we enter into the dullness of everyday life, the darkness of sorrow and grief, the fog of disbelief. Let us follow the words of St. Peter, the rock who could not believe that his Lord would have to suffer and die, but who then received a moment of enlightenment to which he clung for the rest of his life. Hold on to that light, he says. Look to it like a lamp shining in a dark place until the greater light comes and the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. For it is those moments of light that strengthen us to bear our cross so that we might too be changed into Christ's likeness from glory to glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.